0: So, Father, first we lift up uh, Psalms, the, the group. What a, what a beautiful sound that you've given them, God. Pray that wherever they go, whenever they sing, God, you will be lifted high by them. Protect them as they travel. Bless them while they're here. We're so thankful for them, God. I lift up Paul before he preaches today, God, in corporate prayer. Everybody in the room thinking about this, God, we want him to be blessed by you today so we can be blessed as well. God, speak to us through Paul today. Give him courage. Give him wisdom. Help him to rightly divide this word of truth, God, in such a way that we can understand it. Bless us, God, with with your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And again, one more time for psalm. Please give it up for them, guys. So thankful for y'all. Thank you so much for making the drive, too, especially. We're in the second sermon on the S- Sermon on the Mount, in the second the second part of this. And so, if you have your Bible, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter six. We're going to make Matthew six nineteen through twenty four. These are probably some very memorable verses that you have memorized over the years, or or maybe some things that you know someone put up on a sign that you read, and you go, "Oh, I remember that," or "I hear that." Um, but let's jump right in. Matthew six, starting with verse nineteen. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty where thieves break in and steal store your treasures in heaven where they will never become moth eaten or rusty and where they will be safe from thieves wherever your treasure is there your heart and thoughts will be also your eye is a lamp for your body and a pure eye lets sunshine into your soul but an evil eye shuts out the light and plunges you into darkness if the light that you think you already have it, excuse me that you have is really darkness how deep that darkness will be No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I think um, this goes without saying, but there are people that that you know that are all about something, and wherever they are, all about that just permeates everything that they do. You know, it's everything. You can't have a conversation with them without this getting brought up. You look at their car, there's a bumper sticker for this on it or whatever. It permeates everything that you do. And I'm glad my mom is here this morning. Where's my mom? My mom's here today. So My my mom and her husband Jim are here today. So give them $5 out of your pocket or something. I'm just kidding. Um, Actually, 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 this is one of those times where you just go, you just go, God bless you. I'm so sorry about that, you know, or something. All those, my teenage years. Um, but we had, we had a family that my grandparents knew growing up, and they were, they were Horace and Evelyn Holmes. They're dead now, so we can use their names. Uh, but anyway, uh, they had an orange grove uh, about an hour north of, uh, of Orlando, and so we took the train down there to go and stay with them and then go down to Disney for a little bit. I'm just a wee little lad at this point in time. Well, Horace and Evelyn Holmes, they were all about travel. Am I not? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so you guys were like, are these stories you tell real? And yes, they are real. Harrison Evelyn, Holmes also had an affinity for two places in the world, Asia and Africa. And I don't know why, but I remember this because they had scary masks and weird idle things all over their house. So you couldn't go anywhere. You know, you're in their house and you look up and there's this weird mask looking down at you and you're kind of like, this is not good. Until you go to the bathroom. And then there's weird masks watching you in the bathroom. And weird idols looking at you. And I'm like, this is going to be okay. It's it's all right. I'm just a little kid. I get scared by these things. And then we're like, we have a guest house for you. So they had a guest house. And so I'm like, okay, this is going to be good. I'll go to the guest house. I will escape from these weird, scary things. And I go into this room and there's little idols and like scary looking things and masks and everything just looking at me on my bed. And I was pretty sure one of them was going to get up in the middle of the night and eat me. But what, it didn't matter, wherever they, hit, wherever they were, they were like, we're all about this and we're going to let you know and you're not going to be able to get away from it. Well, what would it look like if that was the way that you and I looked like with Christ? That there simply wasn't an area that was in our life that wasn't wallpapered with Christ. That you couldn't, that we didn't talk about it. it. It permeated everything. And so the Sermon on the Mount, again, we're going back, Jesus is not looking for followers, Jesus is looking for disciples. And so what would it mean that the gospel or the presence of Christ was there in every area of your life, especially... The area of money and possessions. Especially the area of money and possessions. So if we live out the gospel in every area of our life, what would it look like, especially with money? Now, just to give you a couple kind of like, you know, for one, how many of you would say that we as a church talk about money all the time? Raise your hand. How many of you as a church would say we rarely talk about money? I, I, I agree. So maybe, maybe we need to talk some more. But here we go. Listen to this. Jesus spoke more about money and material wealth than he did about heaven and hell combined. Spoke more about money and material wealth than heaven and hell combined. Secondly, 11 out of the 39 parables in the Bible are about money. Thirdly, would you say that the Bible is a book about verses about prayer? You'd be right. There are 500 verses in the Bible about prayer. However, there are 2,000 verses in the Bible about money. So it should tell us something, that money is something that we often don't think about we don't think about it. And so I will give you this I will give you this as a parameter and I'll come back to this again. I have been in ministry in serving in the church. I've been at Corinth for going on 19 years, but prior to that I had 3 years to it. So Twenty-two years I have been in ministry, and I have been in ministry where I have had parents dragging their kid in by the ear, and they're about to kill him, and we intervene, and he doesn't die, and he lives. I have been where couples are just on the brink, and they're fighting. I've been with people, and they've lost their jobs. I've been with people, and they're working with struggling with cancer. I've been with people, and they have all kinds of issues. In 22 years, I have never, not once ever, had anyone walk into my office and say, Pastor, I really struggle with greed. 22 years there's only seven deadly sins according to the early church fathers and what was one of them greed now wait a minute 22 years you're not telling me at least one in seven people would come in with that no so what does that tell us it tells us that we probably have a problem with it and we don't talk about it so i'm, I'm, I'm we'll get to that a little bit later on but jesus would also come and he would jump in and say hey listen it's not about possessing wealth because some of the most godly people in the Bible, like I would lift up Job, one of the most wealthy people that there was. It's not about possessing wealth. It's about do you possess wealth or does wealth possess you? Who is your master? Is the Lord your master Is or is what you are trying to build up in your kingdom and money and material things, is that your master? So let's look at this text. We'll start. If you get your Bibles out, turn in your Bibles. and Hopefully you didn't, uh, didn't close it up. But start with verse 19. And so in verse 19, we, we see this verb. We see the verb. The verb is to store up. The verb is to store up. And so if you, if you think about this, the verb to store up is a very purposeful verb. It's a very purposeful verb. He is absolutely, Jesus is actually trying to give you a physical representation of something that has super spiritual implications or, or impacts in your life. And so what he's doing in this is he's saying, listen, when you store up, what I'm telling you is when you store up, you've got to plan, you've got to be purposeful, And you're going to willfully do it. Now, I don't know about y'all. I grew up in a home, and my mom will probably tell you this was her least favorite thing in the world, where my family thought it was important to can vegetables. No one has ever canned vegetables out of their garden by accident. That is a process. People die while canning is going on. Someone might taste a zucchini dead. Zucchini is uh, not of the Lord anyway, but that's a whole different thing. But if, and you, then all of a sudden you get on your basement and there's these cans and you've had these cauldrons of boiling water and dipping them in and you're cooking this and you're doing this and there's this pickle juice and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden you go and, and your mom's about to die and she's doing this kind of stuff and you can survive World War III now in your basement. That does not happen by accident. It is very purposeful. And so this idea of storing up for yourselves treasures on earth, it's not something that happens by accident. We purposely do it. But then the next word is treasure. You store up treasures. What are treasures? Treasures are things that give you security or significance. So, Men, we understand this. When we turn 12 years old, we begin to notice that there were cars on the road. And maybe it was before that, but you're to be, oh, man, that one's good, that one, that one. that one. And, you know, by the time that I was 16 years old, I knew that we were going to get me a Jeep Grand Wagoneer or, or a Jeep Renegade or something with the big tires, and you had to have, like, this ladder rope to get into it, and you climb up and everything, and you're smushing cars and everything. And then my parents said, no, not only are you not going to get that car, but you're going to drive the family's blue Dodge Aries station wagon. But why, why did we want it so bad? Because if I could just have that, then I would have significance. And that's what wealth does to us. If I could just have that, then I would have significance. Or it's that if I could just have this, then I would have true security in my life. And So those are what Jesus is, is wrestling against. But then the next part, he gives this qualifier. And he says, where moth can destroy, thieves can break in. And so he's asking you a question. It's an implied question. Is your truest treasure devourable? Like, is your truest treasure devourable? I mean, it's kind of like, is your truest treasure a Krispy Kreme donut? Because that can get eaten. Or is it solid? And then he says, too, is your truest treasure, is it transient? Is it stealable? Or is it anchored? As the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6, 19, is it anchored, this anchor that we have? And so it's essentially like, what is your treasure like? Is your treasure like if we had the crown jewels and we brought them here and we put them underneath a glass case and we put them right here in the middle of the room or put them out there in the middle of hickory, we'd all have to kind of stand around it and there'd be armed guards and everybody, because it's so, if somebody runs right in and grabs it and goes away, is, is that what your treasure is like? Or is your treasure kind of like the sun? When's the last person you saw guarding the sun? Somebody might take this, hang on y'all. No, I mean. It's not, it's immovable. We can't do anything to it. And Jesus says, is that the solidity of your treasure? So keep moving on. Verse 20. And so look, he gives you this contrast. And he contrasts now. And he says, instead, store up for yourself treasures on earth. And, And for the life of you, you go, what does that mean? How do you do that? First of all, there's just a simple thing. When Jesus Christ died for us on the cross, our treasure is already laid for us up in heaven when we have faith in him. That's our treasure. He is our treasure. Our treasure is going to be eternal life with him forever. And we get the first fruits of that in the power of the Holy Spirit, and Romans tells us, that lives in our life. He is the down payment. But then if we go on and you look at Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to refer back to this later on, Galatians chapter 4 reminds us that we're not slaves any longer now when we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are children of God, and all of the riches and glory that belong to Christ now belong to us because we're God's children. And so... Paul talks about this, Jesus talks about this a lot. If we're God's children, then laying up for yourself riches in heaven simply looks like acting like children of God, which is simply put, obedience. Children who are gonna get a great inheritance don't go out and rob people, right? They act like children who are wealthy. They act like royalty. We don't act like royalty. We act like we ain't never gonna get nothing and the God's not gonna take care of us now, so we better go get it now because we need significance and security, but he says, but store it for yourself. That means obey. And obedience is a reward and it itself. So then we get to, we get to uh, verse 21. In verse 21, I, w- I would say, listen, it reminds us that where our treasure is, we're saved by grace. Grace plus nothing. Grace plus nothing. So Jesus, in verse 21, he simply says this. He says, listen, so since you've been given this grace, or we would know this on the other side of the cross and resurrection, who has your loyalty? Who has your loyalty? Because wherever your loyalty is, that's where your heart and your thoughts are. And isn't this, when he says this in verse, 20, in verse 21, isn't this the true essence of infidelity? The true essence of infidelity is you may be physically lying next to someone with your body, but your heart and your mind are with someone else. And then occasionally, your body will go where your heart and mind are to be with that other person and complete the infidelity. And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, are you with me, but your heart and mind are somewhere else? He's saying, if you're truly with me, then your heart and mind are with me, and you know that I am your treasure, and you know that the treasure lies in heaven, and that's truly what's what's incredible. So in verse twenty-two, verse twenty-two seems like this incredible like right-hand turn, but in verse twenty-two, he's trying to give you, he's trying to give you, okay, how does this happen? How do you become greedy? How do you become a materialist? How do you become a possessive person? How does that happen? It happens because of your eyes. It happens because of how you see the world, how you view the world. And so he talks about this, and he says, listen, either your eye, the eye in your body, it enables your body to truly see. You see things for how they really are. This is called reality. You see things for how they, re- how they really are. And it also enables you to find the way, right? Your eye enables you to find the way. But we, we also would say that a pure eye, works with the body, and then we switch right over to verse 23. But an evil eye, now what's an evil eye? You know, I don't know about y'all, but I've given the evil eye to some youth in my time. I've got a million of them. I mean, some of them are like this, some of them are like this, some of them are like, and I don't even know, I, the evil eye, that's not the evil eye. The evil eye is the eye that shuts out God's light and shuts out the light of the truth. And so he says this evil eye that you would have, it is simply willful blindness to what God commands willful blindness. So this is chosen. This is, we choose who we're going to serve. We choose that we're going to serve money and material possessions. We choose that we're going to serve things. We choose, we, we choose to serve other things that we think give us significance and we think give us security. We choose to serve them, and we shut out the light of the gospel and the light of God. That's willful blindness. And so it's this part of it where we go, it is absolutely and completely possible to be surrounded by the glory of the gospel and the light of the truth of Jesus Christ and be completely blind to it. And guess what? When you shut out your eyes to the truth, you begin to think that false lights are what really, leads, what really leads to life. There have been some times that I've been in a really dark place and there was a crack underneath a door and I walked to it and it was the true light that led me out. There have been some other times that there was a smoke detector in the room and I walked into a wall because it was not leading me to the way out. If you want to think about this, think about Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo, there's an incredible thing, part in Finding Nemo where there's an anglerfish. Now, if you don't know what an anglerfish is, in the deepest depths of the ocean, there's this fish that's got a mouth like, I don't even know what. It's like the two crown of thorns of Jesus just coming together like this. And it has a false bioluminescent, like little dingley things that it hobbles up right there. And fish are attracted to it and it's not the real light. And the closer they get to it, there is death. And so when we go back to Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it leads unto death. That is absolutely talking about false light. And then finally, we get to verse 24. In verse 24, he says, you, no one can serve two masters. And we hate that because we want to go, listen, I don't serve any masters. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We absolutely do. But what is he saying is, is, you are literally either a slave of one or the other. And what that means is, you can have two employers, but you can't have two owners, This is talking about loyalty. This is talking about devotion. You will love one and you will hate the other. And so these are these points where you and I have talked many times before and you've heard this sermon before. Do you love the gift or do you love the giver of the gift? Do you simply love the gift or do you love the giver of the gift? Because devotion is at stake. So I just have two quick points for you today as you talk about money. First of all is this. The mirrors in the gym are for you. Some of y'all are tracking with me. The mirrors in the gym, are for you. They're for you. When I was at App State, and I worked out for the first year that I was there, and then never went to the gym again. I'll get over there, and I'm curling, you know, my like two pound thing, or whatever. But I'm curling, and I'm like in the, I'm like, first of all, I'm giving myself the stare. I don't know why, but I'm like, I'm watching my form, and then I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and then, you know, of course, you get you drink a bunch of water, or whatever like that. And I didn't realize that men would position themselves in the gym based on where women were in the gym, right? Because I didn't realize this. I, I'm a little bit naive, but I'm in, I'm in there doing this, and then there's another guy. Well, I'll see that the barbells are right here. But for some reason, this dude needs to be like way over there to use the barbells. And I'm like, what are you doing that? then I realized that hot chica number four was in the corner behind him. So he's not only doing this, but he's going, girl, you see me, don't you? Yeah. I know, you like this. I'm on number 45. The mirrors in the gym aren't for you to look at anybody else. They're for you to look at you. But this text absolutely is the part where you need to look at you in this text. Verse 24, look at the you in it. No one can serve two masters for you. He doesn't say for he, for they. He says for you. For you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other? And there's this implied question that we go back to again, and I talk about my 22 years in ministry. No one has ever come to me and said, I struggle with greed or materialism. You know why that is? Because everybody has someone richer and more extravagant than they are. Everyone. You can be doing, you can be rolling down with a like, you know, you're making it rain down 127 out the window of your car. And people are like, you do not understand money. You are such a materialist. You'd be like, y'all don't even know about my friend John. He does it with diamonds. I'm not even, I'm not even, what are you talking about? We all, everyone has someone that does it. But the mirrors in the gym are not for them. The mirrors in the gym are for you. He's saying, In this text, he doesn't say, hey, listen, go out and compare yourself to everyone and then come back. You know why? Because it's absolutely possible to either be poor or wealthy and be consumed by wealth. You're poor and you're consumed because if I just had it, I would be significant. You're wealthy and you have it and go, if I can just keep it, I will have security. That's how that works. So the the hallmarks are generosity. The hallmarks are are simply to live with your wallet, and this is the, the, the absolute, just, just kind of like the illustration of to go, God, I'm holding this in an open hand before you. you know, to be a steward means it doesn't belong to me. I'm just taking care of it, what you have given me. But the minute you say, give me, I go, yes, because you gave me every given and perfect gift, which is what the first chapter of James tells us. And so part of this is you can go, well, how do I do this? I can't even get my wallet. It's just so fat with all the coupons I have in it. <laughs> Part of it is that you go and you realize that the Holy Spirit is your mirror. The Holy Spirit is your mirror. What do we hear about the Holy Spirit in John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen? 16? He has come to lead us into all truth. He has come to convict the world of sin. So some of this is to go, Holy Spirit, do I have a problem with this? And sit long enough to hear an answer. Some of us were like, Holy Spirit, do I have a problem with this? No, I didn't think so. good, good. But the Holy Spirit is your mirror. The Holy Spirit is your mirror. This is why at the end of Psalm 139, David says, Search my hearts. Know my thoughts. See if there is any hurtful way in me. Why? Because I might not even know it myself. So the mirrors in the gym are for you. How often do you look in the mirror at yourself and how you spend money? And have you asked the Holy Spirit to go, Can you, can you help me with this? The second thing is this. How and what we store up becomes a habit, and it becomes a lifestyle habit. How and what we store up becomes a lifestyle, and it also becomes a habit. If you don't believe me, I want to tell you about where my treasure is and what it is. It's the food inside my refrigerator. That's, that's where it exists. Not really, I'm giving you an example, but you're going to follow me maybe. How many of you have walked to the refrigerator, not really even being hungry, just checking to see what was in there? You stood there for a little bit, you looked in, your wife's like, What are you doing? You're like, I'm just checking to see what's in the refrigerator. Are you hungry? No, not really. And close the door and you walk away. A little bit later on, you're like, um. What was in there again? Close the door? Okay, whatever. You will walk to the refrigerator having got, I'm gonna go get a Coke and look in the refrigerator and look in there, and just be like, oh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Close your refrigerator without the Coke. Walk away again five minutes later. Oh, I wanted a Coke. Look back, go get the Coke. This time you're like, oh, it's good. Why? It's such a habit. We walk the refrigerator. The refrigerator is where life exists for us. We go there. We know the path. I could get there with my eyes closed from my bed. Doesn't matter if the cat's in the room or the dog. I'm still getting there. I get there. I walk there every night with earplugs in. I don't need to hear to get there. I get there. Why? Because it is a habit. And the same is absolutely true with the lifestyle and the way that we store up treasure for ourselves in heaven. It's a ritual putting things away in your refrigerator. You know where this is, you know where this is, you know where that is, you know where that is. You absolutely know that with how you store up your treasure. You know how you do it, you know where it is, and you know what it is. And it becomes a habit and it becomes a lifestyle. So here's this simple, second simple point. If you go to the refrigerator a lot, you look like me. And if I ever want to lose weight, I'm probably not going to be able to lose weight by myself. I'm going to need someone to be like, put the Doritos down. Does anyone in your life at all have the permission to ask you about how you spend your money? Don't. I'm not talking about your wife. I'm talking about some brother or sister in Jesus Christ. Does anyone else? Does anyone, does anyone have the right in your life or the privilege in your life or the intimacy in your life to ask you, are you doing that because it is leading you to feel like you have significance? Are you doing that because you're finding security in that over the Lord? And we're not great at doing this as Christians. We either don't, we either don't engage far enough or we engage too far. And we walk into our, our friend, our friend just you know, bought this incredible new car and we walk in the door and we're like, bam, have to enjoy that car in hell, dude. You know what? Stop. Or we walk in and we go, oh, you, you just did that? Oh, that's great, okay. And, and then somebody asks you, what did you just do? while well, I was holding my friend accountable. There's got to be this invitation and for you to engage someone else and go, hey, can we have this kind of relationship where you can look at how I spend my money, and I'm going to look at how you spend your money, and I'm not going to hide stuff from you, and you're just going to be able to ask me questions, and we're not trying to hate on each other. We're trying to simply guide each other back to what Jesus Christ is doing, because we hate it when people ask us about money. We hate it. It's one of the things that we go, that's mine. You don't get to ask me about it. But in a loving body of the church, if we go back and we look at Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, man, these people are laying it all out, and they're like, hey, come, I got this, I got this, we're going to give it away, I've got this, we're going to give it away, I've got this, we're going to give it to these people. Does that ever even enter your mind when you get a bonus, or when you get a gift, or when whatever happens, or when you look at your paycheck, does it ever even enter your mind to do that? And it may be because you have this habit to where you go, I get the money, I take the money, I put it in this place, then I put it in this place, and then I take out the card, and then I swipe it, and I get this, this, this. Or if I'm on Amazon Prime, I just go, boop, and then I feel significant. Does anyone have the right to ask you about that? And it's hard. I've told the story before. I'll tell it again, especially because my mom's here. I remember finding $20 in the arcade parking lot when I was in the third grade. $20 was $20 more than I'd ever seen in my entire life at that point. $20, I, I was going to end the budget crisis in America. Then I had my $20, and I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. And so I came home. We had a missionary named Ken Gravely who was coming over to our house. Ken Gravely, who was a missionary, was coming over to the house. He's meet meeting with us. I bust in the room. I'm like, Ken, found $20. What are you going to do with that? Roughly, if I could figure that out, I can't. But it's a whole lot of video games. To which Ken said, You really should tithe that. I was like, I'm not going down to the ocean. And he said, no, tithe, not tide. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? He said, Are you going to give 10% of that to the church? I'm like, heck no, I'm not going to do that. 10%? 10%? That's eight games of Miss Pac-Man. And he spoke to me and he talked to me about this. And I thought, oh the, oh, the gall of this person telling me what to do with my money. But I needed that. I needed someone to come in and say, hey, hey, this is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. And the last thing is simply this, and we'll end on this part. You get to choose kind of whether you're a child or whether you're a slave. Galatians chapter four talks about this. And we who have been Sanctified by the work of Jesus Christ, not our own, on the cross. All of the riches belonging to Christ now belong to us. Paul tells us right there in Galatians chapter 4. It all belongs to us. And when we act like children of God, we go, Lord God, everything you've given me is it's yours. It belongs to you. I'm your child. You're my father. I don't have to wonder whether you're good. You proved that you were good once and for all by giving me your son, and you've given me the Holy Spirit, and you've given me forgiveness, and you've given me mercy, and <gasps> you just gave me that breath right there. I didn't manufacture it for myself. You have given me all of this, and I'm going to choose to act like your child and trust and know that my significance and my security is not found in anywhere else, or you can choose to be a slave if you're a slave, you're a slave to something where it's a life with a bucket with a hole in it. Always working to fill it up, always working. Worried of where your bucket spills out. Hey, listen up, we all have a bucket when it comes to money with with a hole in the bottom of it. Nobody has a coffin with a U-Haul attached to it. We don't get to take it with us. And sometimes with a hole in our bucket, we go absolutely to the place that needs what we have. And we stand there for a little while and our bucket gets drained out. And we go, praise the Lord, And we do that by two ways, not looking at wealthy people with disdain, wishing we had it, and not looking with poor people with absolutely just, oh, but we go, we're all created in the image of God, and God has given us every good and perfect gift. And the first and foremost is his son, who is my truest treasure.